sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Just me and you today. Uh, just us, no guests. Uh, I, I forgot to invite anybody. Did you invite anybody? I invited my kids. Okay. We can bring two other kids in this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've been, I've been uh, busy, but it's been a good busy. And uh, you've been busy. What have you been doing? You added something to your daily, weekly schedule, something that's been well, absent for a while. Abby's birthday was last Thursday. That she isn't what I was talking 14 about. 14 years old. Holy smokes. Okay. Good. <laughs> you want you want to talk about the other stuff. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Well, I so how long has it been now? I've been sitting at a desk writing reports or doing counseling or doing pastory stuff. Mm-hmm. Like sitting at a desk for 10, 12 hours a day for, what, seven years now? Okay. Like, it's an insane amount of time of not moving. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, last year I tried to make sure to schedule more walks while talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would get at least two to five miles of walking in. That's my strategy. But now, you know, summer months, kind of, do you, you walk in the summer? Strategy? I do, baby. I walk year-round. Yeah, wow. but I'd walk early. Okay. Yeah. See, I feel well, I would leave the house. It was still humid. That's what's shocking here. Uh, you don't know humid. <laughs> I, I believe you. <laughs> you, you. You come from California. No, I, I I remember showing up here in the spring sometimes, getting off, coming out of the airport and going, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then you'd all, like, laugh at me. Sure, sure. Uh, so. I came here from southern Florida, South Florida. So this was a relief. It really was, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so yeah, walking was hard, and I, there there was a really hard time in my life. Uh, mixed martial arts have been such a big part of my life for a lot. Mixed of years. martial arts. Yeah. Okay. So that's. So I was I was in Los Angeles like UFC two, so I think they just had UFC two hundred and forty five. Okay, so that's Ultimate Fighting Championship. Yeah, everybody knows UFC now. Come on. Do they? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is basically <laughs> no rules fighting. Put guys in a oh, cage. Oh, no, no. It, there's a lot of rules. Are See, there? there you go. Oh, yeah. I mean, early, there were You can kick few. a guy in the face. Yeah, but you can't punch him in the balls. So there's rules. Okay. Like the early UFC, you could punch him in the balls. Oh, really? Oh, man. I had a guy that was a, a teacher at the the gym that I was working out of Uh that he was doing some stunt work and Mm -hmm. he was doing professional fighting. And so he had long hair Uh and uh, you can YouTube, he's fighting a guy, he's doing fine, but the guy wraps his ponytail in his head, his hand starts jerking his head back, punching him in the face until the fight ends. So yeah, there were, there were very few rules back then. Uh, he did decide to cut his hair soon oh, after that, uh, yeah, and has yeah. never grown it. That's out why again. I cut mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, it was it was a big uh, it was a big thing in my life, and then later I would uh, train other people, 
And so you were a fighter. Uh, no, yeah, I was a trainer. I you were liked, a trainer. I, okay. I liked being trained. Okay. And I liked training others, and I loved being in the gym and right. doing that. Right. I never had any desire to go compete. Okay. Like, just wasn't my thing. Um, but I met a guy, a uh, very dear guy. When I first moved back, I drove past a window and saw people stick fighting. Uh, Filipino martial arts is one of the things. Stick fighting. Yeah, like, you know, just, you, know, you got some sticks, you're whacking people with it. You're hitting people with sticks. Well, yeah. I, well, when you're training, if are you these hit them, you're big doing sticks, a bad job. Small sticks? 20, are they staffs? They're 28 inches, made of rattan. Okay. Or if you got some, like, uh, you know, harder woods, but that's not very nice when you're training. So rattan's good. 28 inches, unless you're doing southern Filipino styles, shorter. Jungles were more dense there. Anyways, I drive past, I see these guys stick fighting, and that was one of the things I had been certified in, Los Angeles. And so I pull in and just go inside, and I remember asking, hey, can I hang out and do this? And there's a gruff guy with a kind of motorcycle mustache. Uh All right, fine. And so I start doing this drill with a guy, and he says, hey, um, be careful, please. I'm a doctor. I don't want to get my hands hit. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm a pianist. I don't want to get my hands hit either. And this guy from across the room who's uh-huh. teaching a class goes, hey, what'd you say? You say you're a penis? You don't want to get your hands hit because you're a penis? What'd you say? And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, you don't even know me. And this is this yeah. is what we're doing? Yeah. And uh, later I would find out how similar we were. And he right. was very much looking at, like, how am I going to respond to him humiliating me in sure. front of everybody? Sure, sure. And after that class, we talked for a while, and we became incredibly close friends. And then later, we would coach other people and teach classes together. Okay. So in one year, my main teacher in Los Angeles got prostate cancer, died. Wow. And then my dear friend got pancreatic cancer and uh, oh, wow. came to me right after he got the diagnosis. He was probably 43-ish. Jeez. And uh, came over to my office at the church and said, okay, just came from the doctor. This is happening. Said I've got like, I think he said two months to live. Jeez. He said, I need to, I need to train for this. We know how to train. I need, I need to do this right. We got we to kick this thing's ass. And I'm like, only he would like come from the doctor and like, okay, yeah. before I tell anybody else, I got to prepare myself. And, yeah. and uh, he ended up changing everything about his life lifestyle as far as mm-hmm. vegan stuff and geez i had to do that for three months with him because he didn't want to do it alone uh he lived for five years wow but then he passed away yeah and even during that time like obviously he couldn't do stuff yeah and i just lost my will to i just didn't want to yeah I mean, it wasn't a big like oh trauma distaste yeah. for this i just had no motivation anymore mm-hmm. So, anyways, in the last few weeks, uh, I finally thought, geez, I can't walk, so I'm going to go pay to go to the UFC gym in town and start. There is a UFC gym in town. Mm -hmm. There's actually a couple. I think there's one in this town. Really? Okay. uh, One in the borough. Didn't know it was a thing. It's a thing. Okay. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, just early morning jujitsu and kickboxing in the evenings. Elijah's coming. He's doing his thing. Samuel's coming. So it's kind of a family deal we're doing. Yeah. But it was weird 
for me because it's been how was reentry? Decade. Um, how was reentry? So I, I guess I wanted to to talk first. When yeah. I, when I met the coach, I want to talk, and uh, fighting's not about talk. Right. Kind of like the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think I had spent a lot of years with my friend just like, let's let's analyze fights. Let's analyze movements. Let's break stuff down. And we weren't yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just, uh, it was a step of faith to tell the coach, hey, I haven't done this in 10 years. And by the way, I'm 43 now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do this lightly, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt myself. Yeah, if you aren't aware. Um, and hell, I don't know what the condition my heart's even in. I'd like to not have a heart attack either. Yeah. So would you mind being protective of me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he totally got it. Right. And so getting in there and being with other men and women, feeling safe feeling watched over. Sure. Um, but then entrusting a group of people with my progress because a lot's changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, the jujitsu part of it was always my friend's deal. That was what he would teach and I would teach other things. Right. And so I'm really spending time with stuff that there's holes in my knowledge because that lets me entrust myself to other people even more. Mm-hmm what I think I know doesn't get in the way. Yeah, right. And so I, I think the the beautiful thing is it reminds me of your Jonathan and David thing every week where Jonathan takes off his armor, mm-hmm. gives David things to hurt him with. Yeah. I There was uh, the guy with the ponytail, actually. My, my teacher really loved that guy and was always trying to get him to come to church. Mm-hmm. My my main teacher was a pastor. Okay. And I remember one day I was sitting off to the side and my teacher was talking to him and he looks at my teacher and says, Ron, why would I ever come to church? Like, just can you answer that? And my teacher, Ron, was uh, big into small groups. He's like, because we connect and we, we're like a family and all of this. And he looks at him and says, can you promise me it'll be better than the family and brotherhood I have here in the gym with these men? Oh, wow. And there was no answer to that mm-hmm. because the reality is no, not mm-hmm. in most places. Yeah. Because I can do it without active acts of trust. Ah, yes. So every time I'm, I mean, just, just this morning, I was sitting there with my arm being hyperextended for an hour and a half as we worked on certain arm bars out, mm-hmm. of, out of a position. Every time I'm trusting that they're not going to go too fast, they're not going to hyperextend my elbow too much, and that when I tap out, they're going to stop. Yeah. So that's over and over trusting other people's self-control and self-discipline with my actual body. Yeah. I don't have to do that if I just show up to a small group. Right. And it's like, hey, we're going through this book or this video series. That's an active choice we have to make. Mm -hmm. And it's even harder 
within community right. because, you know, it's it's built into fighting. Yeah, yeah. Don't punch me too hard. Don't hurt me. We're just training right now. Yeah, yeah. Be controlled. But, man, does that bond you to people. Yeah. I, st- I still remember the names of most of the people I trained with 25, 27 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm still in contact yeah. with many of them. Yeah. It's a special thing. And that's a big difference between, let's say, a book club and a Samson group. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's still a step between attendance at a Samson meeting and intentional engagement with a Silas. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I mean, that's something we had talked about that I'm doing this very regularly mm-hmm. in the morning. And that makes all the difference. If I only did it once a week, okay, I'd get to know some people. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot would change in my body or in my mind right. or in my skill. Mm-hmm. But more so than that, not much would change as far as connecting with and bonding with these these people. Right. And so showing up to a Samson meeting once a week is is great. I love those relationships. But there it grows exponentially. Right. As you've got a, someone you're connecting with daily. And then we've had guys that have asked, how do we change this into more community? Mm-hmm. And you've got to do the meetings after the meetings. Yep. Where you're actually just hanging out, having conversations. But beyond that, I, I mean, I'd be curious for you to answer this. We never fully answered that question from the guy that sent it in. It was probably four or five months ago. How do you take a step and make this something more as far as community? Yeah. What are your first thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think, you know, I, watching the way community has blossomed at times over the course of time in our local Samson group, our local family, um, I've seen where concentrated times together, road trips, retreats, have been hugely valuable in creating true community. Uh, Especially if within those times, there are moments or hours around the fire when we're able really to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and talk about our present pain, our present confusion, and trust other people uh, you know, with, with, you know, the current struggle, man, it's amazing how brotherhood tightens up then. Okay. So there's one idea, which is really important. And Mm -hmm. we've even got the manual, right. About how to do your own weekends. Oh, sure. Yeah. But yeah, that's huge. As you were talking, I was thinking of like, we, we show up at these places on Friday, Saturday morning, seeing everybody. You go like, oh, hey, all right. It's mm-hmm. good. To, we're here together. This is yeah. cool. Whole day. Waking up Sunday morning every time at any retreat yeah. feels so different than waking up Saturday morning. Yeah. Because yeah. it feels like you just slogged through. You were just in the, you were in the cage yeah. all yeah. day. Yeah. You were yeah. working. You were trusting each other. And it's just that huge bulk of time. Okay. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um. I think the rest we have to put in the category of this is a conscious decision of of individuals, that this isn't about, oh, Samson's going to become 
my extended family slash friend group, this is a choice you're going to have to make to invite people into your life. Oh, yeah. Hey, do you want to come watch a football game if that's what you're into? Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about taking those steps because that can be scary. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, also there's a, it can get a little complex when there are other people in the room, you know, I've got these relationship with these guys because we have had conversations that Mm -hmm. it's not safe to have in an open. Right. 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 Now we've got other people in the room that can get a little bit dicey. Uh, and you're taking a risk when you invite somebody to do something socially with you and your family. Mm-hmm. But it usually turns out pretty good. I, I'll give this caveat because I've done a couple things that uh, people haven't shown up for mm-hmm. in the last year. Yeah. I always try to make sure to take at least one person with me so I know, hey, if it's just the two of us, this will be fine. Mm-hmm. So be careful about expectations. Right. Um, and, and do it because you want to, yeah. not because you think everybody else ought to. Yeah. That's an important difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if a, if a big group wants to do it, great. If a small group wants to, that's fine too. And you've got things like the Rose Bowl coming up and, you know, things like that. You can say, okay, maybe I'll invite a handful of people over. Get some chips and salsa. Doesn't have to be crazy. Gotcha. Yeah. But I I do think when you're asking me about what's the difference, I feel it is, it just sends me back to 25 years ago and how it felt to be vulnerable and know that, uh, you know, I'm not going to win. Jeez, when I was in Los Angeles, I just got beat up six days a week. That was <laughs> that was my thing. <laughs> prove, prove that you could. Walk out the door with your head held high after getting your ass kicked yet again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have been thinking lately that I need to pick up another hobby. I'm being challenged on this front. Ooh, want to come with me? But I'm thinking no, no. Oh, that, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I was dreaming about it. I was, I was speculating what could I possibly do as a hobby because most of what I do now is somehow it's either I'm hanging out with Allie spending time with my wife, or I'm doing something Samson related. And I thought, you know, I, I probably just from my own emotional and mental health ought to pick up some non-productive, something I can't monetize or turn into influence or whatever, just some enjoyable hobby of some kind, something active, because my default would be just to read more books, mm-hmm. right? No, no, this is this is checking off all the boxes. I'm seeing where this is going. I am 63 freaking years old. That's all right. I am a nerd's nerd, and I fear pain. So no, I'm, and there's nothing about mixed martial arts or stick fighting that appeals to me in any way. <laughs> That's. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Nothing that you said just brought any daunting uh, to this situation. It's We're undaunted. Are you? Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, uh, I intend to be unbloodied. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about one more thing. We are? That you're okay. going to shed some light on, uh, and we're going to talk through. So we'll be right back here on the Pirate Mon Podcast. 
relax and breathe. Keep training. You'll get it. Itch, knee, song, she. Come on, everybody, train karate. Itch, knee, song, she. Come on, everybody, train karate. To brag, I don't mean to boast, but I've trained karate from coast to coast. Karate, train your body. I've done the kung fu, the show and rue. I even did a little jujitsu. Karate, train your body. Well, I've trained karate around the world. I'm known all over as Karate Girl. I'm witty, I'm pretty, got the female smarts. So listen to our rap about the martial arts. Karate. Train your body. Karate. Train your body. Come on, everybody, train karate. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. There is a dangerous word in the world. The word is expectations. Mm-hmm. I have some thoughts, something that I talk through a lot with, with folks because it's so central to wounding. Yeah. Uh, I've got these expectations. You're not meeting them. It makes me feel unloved. Uh, tell me your first thoughts and experiences you've had with that word, being an important word, being a dirty word. Where are you at with that word? Well, uh, you know, I think I was, I was trained in disappointment as a child, uh, you know, trained not to expect too much, not to ask for things. I was raised in a home where you, 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 nobody made a Christmas list. You just didn't do that. Uh, nobody, nobody ever asked you what you wanted for your birthday. Uh, what? That's horrible. No, none of that happened. And, uh, and you didn't ask for seconds at the table or, uh, you just ate as fast as you could so that you could claim what was left. So, uh, however, I, that did not, I think what happened for me was that I projected all my hopes and dreams on the future. And a lot of those were romantic. And then of course, those were polluted by my experiences with pornography and by romantic, you mean like with the opposite sex, not sure. romanticized. Right, right, whatever. right, right, yeah, right, right, right. Okay. We're talking intimacy. Sure, sure. So I had a lot of, I had a lot of loneliness during my childhood and during my teenage years. College even was lonely for me. Uh, I was able, I somehow managed to be friendly and somewhat, somewhat uh, well-liked, if not popular. I, uh, uh, trusted with leadership without being invited to the prom or something like that. Um, this is confusing. I mean, we were talking about this on our trip to Missouri. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was hearing what you were saying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not like the words were unfamiliar to my mind. Yeah. But uh, you were talking about this. I was in the middle of a lot of things. Yeah. I was well-liked, and I was completely alone at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's a... I get it, but I don't. That is, that's not my experience. I'm sure some listeners are like, dude, Aaron, that's 
so uh, obvious to understand. And a lot of that I now recognize was the way I postured myself and the way I saw myself. A lot of it has to do with my attachment style, that avoidant attachment style. Mm-hmm. So I could perform to get applause and approval, but would not approach close enough to become emotionally close. That vulnerability was too terrifying. But I placed a lot of expectations on finding the perfect woman, and I found her. Um, but, but with them came unrealistic expectations, born out of wounding, born out of, you know, terrible information from pornography. Um, and uh, which led to, uh, you know, disillusionment. A lot of it turned inward. I didn't always blame Allie when I was unhappy. A lot of that I turned on myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that disappointment and resentment, there's a great line that I heard early on in recovery. You know, expectation is just a premeditation, a, a premeditated yeah. resentment, right? Love that. Yeah. Uh, love it slash learn to not love it as much mm-hmm. as I matured. Mm-hmm. But I do know that that, that um, resentment born to a large degree from unrealistic expectation mm-hmm. uh, provided a lot of the fuel for my more destructive behavior. So here's what, why I, uh, I learned to not love that phrase as much as I did the first time I heard it. Mm-hmm. When I first heard it, I was like, genius, this is the best line ever. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's kind of an implied, so don't expect things. And that's not appropriate either. Right. Because the only people I expect nothing of are the people I don't give a shit about. Right, yeah. That expectations are a part of the dance of love and intimacy. Uh, there are three things that abide, Paul says, at the ends of Roman, uh, of First Corinthians chapter 13. Faith, hope, and love. We hear a lot about faith. We hear a lot about love. But hope, man. All right. This is this is critical. All right. Now we're getting into it. This is the danger, I think, is that we confuse expectations with hope. They're tied together, mm-hmm. but they aren't the same. Or if we make them the same, then it gets very confusing. Because my hope is born out of all that Jesus is. Mm-hmm what he has done, his person and work. Right. Expectations uh, have to do with my experience and being wise. Mm -hmm. Now, there can be overlap in that. But when I start saying, okay, maybe I need to lower my expectation here, Mm -hmm. that can feel really bad if it means I'm lowering my hope. Oh, I see. Because my hope's attached to Jesus. And now I'm saying, yeah, it seems like Jesus isn't quite enough for this person. Let's not hope for them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So these, we, I think it's important to understand the difference, and I think there's a lot of pain that has come from us conflating the two. Can you give me, for instance, can you tell me a mm-hmm. story? I tell you a story. This is so your job. Uh, listeners, if you were at any Q&A with the two of us, Nate will be the one to tell the story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I will not. Uh yeah, sure. Uh, I can have 
let's let's say see i'm trying to get hypothetical i'm only thinking of real stories yeah. that my wife doesn't want me to tell so oh, okay. i don't have permission right. okay uh okay there can be times that one of us is hurt i, I have to do it from my perspective um that i, I say okay here's my need mm-hmm. and i can even be told oh okay i get that let me here's how i'll meet that need mm-hmm. and i think to myself okay i have a right to expect it because i've been told to expect it right uh, no, that's not how it works. Just because I've been told to expect it, the other person telling me might be making promises to soothe their own shame in it. Yeah. My hope is always, okay, I'll just use you. Uh, I don't have anything real, so this can be hypothetical. My hope is always the utmost because Christ in you can do miraculous and transformative things. Mm -hmm. So even if you failed 50 times, I can still hope Mm -hmm. huge Mm -hmm. because Christ is enough for that. Yeah. If you have failed 50 times at something though, let's say it's as simple as uh, you don't show up on time. Yeah. Now this is not true. So it's hypothetical. If I keep expecting, okay, we said we're meeting at 530. If he's one minute late, I'm going to be just so mad at him. Mm-hmm. But you've never arrived at 530. Mm-hmm. This is on me for continuing to expect something that you have said, yeah, don't bother expecting that. I'm not planning on meeting that expectation. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm thinking of this as like a high jump bar with you, yeah. the hope is at the top. Like you look up thinking, no one's ever going to clear that. Well, well yeah, because that's the miraculous part of okay. Christ in you. But the bar that's moving is my expectation. Yeah. Where I say, okay, I'm just going to hope he gets here within 10 minutes of of the time we said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and if he does, I'm going to celebrate it. It's possible. It might happen. Yeah. But if you fail to meet it, I'm moving that bar based on what you're able to do, what you're willing to do, okay. what you're working on doing. And that I recognize I have a responsibility to set that appropriate to you yeah, so that I can celebrate. Uh, dude, you were nine minutes late. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, let's talk about setting real, realistic expectations for ourselves and others in recovery. Yes. And, and I think this is why it's so important. Because when we get hurt, especially... For me, if I if I want to act out, if I want false intimacy, right, because I'm struggling with intimacy, then every time an expectation isn't met, that's going to feel like justification sure. to pull away. Right. I need to take my own responsibility in that. Yeah. And, and that's why I say, I mean, often promises are made and that becomes, oh, well, this is my reason. I should have expected that. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, I still have responsibility in that. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen how this works. Yeah. I still want to be moving forward, but this can't be my excuse. The other person can't be my excuse in this way. Mm-hmm. If I'm dealing with somebody who's in recovery, and especially those early stages, mm-hmm. this bar needs to be very incremental. I think that's where experienced 12-steppers get it, right? Sure. They've got some very realistic expectations. Progress, not perfection. Yes. Key phrase. The church has done... Uh, a lesser job of preparing people for that journey. Sure. So old gnarly 12-stepper is willing to take 
that progress and celebrate it. Mm-hmm. To see you not clear the bar and say, well, yeah, that's that happens. Let's put the bar back up. Yep. Where are we setting this thing? Mm-hmm. So now you walk me through how does someone set those appropriately? Because again, if I don't set an expectations, it means I don't care. Right. It means sure. I don't love you. Yeah. So how do we do that? Not just to protect ourselves, but to give them a chance to be celebrated in the in their journey. Yeah. I think a big part of it is um, to set expectations in the right places. For example, uh, I'm going to be your Silas. I would like you to start calling me. My hope would be that you would call me every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that for most people, that is a difficult surrender and a difficult adjustment to make. Uh, and candidly, I don't even meet that standard myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not calling my Silas every day. Uh, but I do expect that if I'm going to be your Silas, you are going to call me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more you call me, the better. So that when we get together for our weekly face-to-face meeting, I can say, man, thanks for those two calls you gave me this week. That was good. Let's talk about those. Mm -hmm. It's a realistic expectation. It's a hope for improvement and we can celebrate. And uh, I'm not going to put unrealistic expectations on a guy's, uh, you know, on a guy's behavior. Uh, we're going to celebrate the miraculous when freedom comes and when we're delivered from evil at the last moment. Uh, you, know, you know, what a gift. And we're going we're gonna to chart progress. We're, we're going to take a long view. Uh, we're going to be realistic in our understanding that recovery is not just repentance. It is a healing process. Um, that yes, there are some decisions involved, but decisions alone don't bring about healing. That requires time and growth and repair and, and very often some pain in the process. So you said process Mm -hmm. and progress repeatedly. Yeah. So for those of you who are wired to think like, no, we're going to set the bar where it ought to be. Mm -hmm. I, you're a grown-ass man. Here's how you should behave. Right. If if you feel that and you're seeing people jump, they don't even knock the bar over. Mm-hmm. They're just jumping under the bar constantly. Yeah. Uh, that is pointing to you not understanding what Nate's talking about, the process. Mm-hmm. That setting the bar at that place for a grown-ass man is a good place to move towards. Mm-hmm. But you you've got to lower it. So you can start moving it up yeah. as they go. Yeah. Process, 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 time, time, time. This is not about epiphanies. Right. It's about a word that rhymes with epiphany but means journey. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I look back and, you know, I really struggled my first three years uh, in recovery. I was just a champion slipper. And uh, I... And it wasn't because other people were putting expectations on me. I was in, I brought those rest as expectations into the room, man. Mm-hmm. And it was all or nothing. And if it wasn't perfect, it sucked. 
And so I kept disqualifying myself. I was feeding despair. And that's that's the opposite of the hope part. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 you know the smallest slip, and and I, I would just be buried under this mountain of shame and despair. And I would and I couldn't couldn't rally to try again until I had spiraled all the way into the ground and just some terrible, you know binging relapse. Right. What what was the word you just used for those first three years? You said, I really, what'd you say? I was a champion slipper. Yeah. I mean, I struggled. You, very few people succeed as far as, oh, I began this race and on day one, I ran it and day two continued to run it. <laughs> like those three years were part of. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like eternal life right now, right? I'm living in eternity mm-hmm. because I believe when I die, I'm going to keep living. Thus, it's happening yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. And so those three years, recovery was happening. It was happening, you yes. Just because sobri- sobriety is not always a part of recovery. <laughs> yeah, th- this is reconstruction, but there's also some deconstruction. You know, the first phase and any renovation project is demolition. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, I came in with some initial surrender because I'd gotten the gift of desperation and I got this hope. I had an unrealistic expectation when I got there that I had found the magic bullet and that, uh, you know, lust was never again going to be a struggle for me. And, you know, it was terrifying and soul crushing when I had my first slip and, and then, you know, each succeeding slip just until, but, but all of that was necessary to demolish my magical thinking on realistic expectations. So if that was necessary, was it success or failure? Uh Right. We, we put it into those categories. Am I succeeding? Am I failing? And we're unfit to know that, (laughs) right? I I always think of Jesus saying, now is the hour when the Son of Man is glorified. Yeah. And he's on his way to the cross. Yeah. I mean, he's just straight up said, this is the biggest moment in history. And everybody, 100% everybody, saw it as failure. Right, yeah. So if we think the greatest moment in history, the most important moment in history is failure, Mm-hmm. then I'm pretty sure we don't know what the hell the first three years of recovery is as far as success or failure. But man, when you get outside it, yeah. which is a much more God perspective, we can say, okay, were there were there moments where you blew it? Well, okay, sure. Yeah. What, what do you want from me? Yeah. yeah. So was it failure? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's the answer. I don't know. It was necessary yeah. so that I could get to this place so I can't call it a failure. Yeah. But I also I call it a success because I'm pretty sure that, you know, masturbating by the dim light of the computer screen shouldn't be called a success exactly. Right. Maybe I just need to stop judging it because that's not my place. Mm. I just need to take the next step. Yeah. yeah. And then expectations can start to be built on the next step and the next step. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. Yeah, uh, we managed to uh, kill an hour without a guest. 
I th- we did more than kill an hour. We had a constructive <laughs> conversation, didn't we? I, how do I know? I don't I know don't if know. it was a success or failure. I'm not judging it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> is this, this is a pop quiz or something. <laughs> Uh, but I, I always enjoy Aaron, uh, talking over weighty matters with you. You're a deep thinker, my brother. And you are an articulate and deep thinker. (laughs) I'm for the peasants. You're for the scholars. Well, Hey, uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us for yet another week here on the Pirate Monk podcast. We do value you. Uh, love to hear from anybody who would hey. write to us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. What do you It's going to be like Christmas. What's that? Like, it's going to be Christmas days after this goes out. Okay. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. And to all, a good night from the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yo-ho-arg. Ho, ho, ho.